that was fun. But I mean, you guys, you guys saw the video. Uh, pretty interesting. Um, hearing what people maybe that don't attend church actually think about those who are in church, and is it possible that the God we're representing, sometime God actually has nothing to do with how we're representing Him? It's interesting. There's a study in 2015 by the Barner Group interviewing thousands of millennials, and they said 85% said the number one reason they don't attend organized religion was because of hypocrisy found in both the leaders of the churches as well as the people who attend. It concludes, the conclusion of the study said, modern people contend that the greatest proof that God does not exist is the behavior of Christians themselves. Pretty challenging, pretty convicting. Even as we were listening to that, it made me think of James. Uh, there's, there's a letter written in the Bible, and he talks about how, like, even the demons believe there's one God, and they shudder. And he basically went on to say, if you have faith and you don't have works, then your faith is dead. That what we believe should be matched by the way that we live. If you look up the word hypocrisy, it actually, on Webster, is defined like this. The practice of claiming to have moral standards or beliefs to which one's own behavior does not conform. And so we're starting this new series, Don't Be That Guy, or Don't Be That Woman, or Don't Be That Person. Some of those were pretty funny, but what we're trying to say is, man, I don't know about you, I'm hoping that as a church, as a family, and even if you're not a part of the church, right, I don't want my life, I don't want to be that guy who's living like a hypocrite. And what we want to explore specifically today and throughout this series is, what is the source of hypocrisy? And this is really important that hopefully what we confess would also be matched by the way that we live. I had the opportunity a couple weeks ago, I was, I was doing a wedding, got done with the wedding, I loved it. I think a lot of people there, they don't really attend church, so they don't hear about Jesus very much. So I was really excited about it, and you could tell um, it kind of resonated what we were sharing about the gospel even during the ceremony. I told Jenna, man, I just have this feeling someone wants to talk to me more about what we talked about. And so we actually prayed at the reception, and we said, God, give the person courage to come talk. And so later on within the reception, I had to go to the bathroom, and a, uh, about a 50-year-old guy, he, he starts going to the bathroom next to me. Maybe too much details. But he kind of broke, like, man code because he started talking to me, like, while we're going to the bathroom. And I'm like, come on, bro. You know what I mean? Don't be that guy. And, uh, and so, but he starts talking to me. It was really interesting. He starts saying, so I could tell what you were saying. That's pretty real to you today. And I was like, well, that's good, right? And he goes, so who, who's your leader? And I like didn't know what he meant. And so I just was like, well, Jesus is our leader. And he's like, well, no, what denomination are you? I'm like, well, we don't have a denomination. We follow Jesus. And he's like, yeah, but who's your leader? I'm like, dude, we just do what Jesus tells us to do. So I'm like, I, you know, I'm like worried to say I'm a Christian sometimes or even to say I'm a, like an evangelical Christian specifically in our culture right now. I want people to know I don't follow like a church or a religion. I follow Jesus, right? And when we got to the heart of what he was asking, he was actually asking, is there anyone above you that keeps you accountable for your actions? And I was like, yeah, we have, you know, elders and people like that. And what was really interesting, I was kind of like, this is kind of weird. Like I was, at first I was like, I got to get back to my seat. Like my wife's there. Like I don't know what's going on right now. What I soon discovered was this guy was the answer to the prayer. 
And he goes on to share that he grew up as an altar boy in the Catholic Church. And so he started talking about, some of you guys saw there was a huge scandal with the Catholic Church in Pennsylvania, and a lot of abuse was going on. And we started talking about it a little bit. And what he went on to share with me and why he was asking these questions, he says, when I was an altar boy at my Catholic Church growing up, my priest tried to abuse me. And it's amazing for some of you, maybe even in this room, you have been hurt by organized religion. Maybe it's abuse, maybe it's shame, maybe it's guilt that you felt. And I know at every campus at Kensington, one of the first things we want to do in this series is apologize personally and apologize for the church as whole if you have been abused and if you have been hurt and you have been wounded by the church, by organized religion. I've heard horror stories, even sitting down with meeting with people, and I hope that you don't view Jesus sometimes how we have represented him, because he is nothing to do with that. And so I actually wanted to take some time before we really jump into everything just to pray if you've been hurt and just pray for us within this series. So Father, I just do that right now. If anyone's been hurt here, God, I pray that they'd know that you have nothing to do with it. And that we're sorry as a church, as an organized religion, we're sorry for any pain that's been caused, God. And we pray that this series and even today can start a healing process in their life. That they can come to see you in a new light, Jesus. So I pray that you cleanse each and every one of us from any shame, any guilt, any fear, God. And you'd open our ears to hear you. You'd open our heart to receive from you, God. And that you would breathe and that you would speak and that you would move today. And we would leave here seeing you more clearly and fall deeper in love with you today, Jesus. In your mighty name, we pray these things. Amen. And so as we get going, too, I'm going to ask the, the ushers to come down. We're actually going to take the offering right now. And, and I would encourage you guys, me and my wife, Jenna, we give online all the time. And so if you want to give online, you can do that. And, and for some of you, they're going to pass the, the offering around. I always say this, in the kingdom, you're never giving, you're always investing, right? Because when you give, especially at Kensington, you guys see the things that we're able to do because of your giving, and we thank you for that. And I would just encourage you, man, keep giving because God uses your money to impact lives, not only here, but all over the world. And so we just thank you guys so much for that. And so it's really interesting if you actually look at the word hypocrite, which Jesus uses this language several times, specifically in Matthew 6 and Matthew 23, when he's talking to the religious people of that time, specifically the Pharisees, the word hypocrite, it actually derives from a Greek word, and that Greek word is meant, they actually called hypocrites people that were actors in Greek plays. And these people in the plays, they would actually put a mask on above their face. And they'd, that was the term used for those kind of actors. They were called hypocrites. And so Jesus, he several times called the religious people, he called them hypocrites because he's like, why are you acting? Why are you performing? Why are you acting like you're better than everyone else? Because that's what can happen in religious institutions. It's like, we're up here. Everyone else is down there. We don't associate with those. And I believe it's actually rooted in fear, right, that we'd be seen as less than, we'd be seen as normal, and we don't want to associate with those people. And if you do something wrong, you're not really welcome here. I hope everyone knows at this church that you are welcome, whatever you're going through. You are welcome here, whatever you've done. You're welcome here, wherever you're at, all right? That is the way of Jesus. Come as you are. And he loves us so much, he'll bring us to a whole new place and a whole new life because he's that good. And it's interesting, Jesus even says in the gospel, he says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. Because you know what's exhausting? Performing and acting. 
And in the context that he says that, he says, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. When he says yoke, it's actually a Jewish term made for my teaching. He's saying, my gospel, you don't have to work for God's approval. If you have faith in me and you believe in Jesus, you're not justified by your works. That's what religion says. If you do enough good things, you'll be made right with God. But relationship, the following Jesus, he says, if you justify, you believe in me, you will be justified by your faith. It's actually not by your works, it's by your faith in Jesus. And whoever believes in the name of Jesus will have eternal life. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Whoever believes in me will not perish, they'll have eternal life, and he'll give them access to the Father. And so it's this beautiful thing, because you know what's really exhausting sometimes is when you're acting for people's approval, Right? That's what actors do. Some of them do it because you love it, you know, and that's totally fine. That's living out of your identity. But sometimes it's like when we're performing, you know, I said, come to me if you're weary because you're trying so hard. But I'm saying if you have faith in me, God will give you a new birth and a new identity and you'll have a new life and you'll live from a place not trying to please God, but you'll know that God is pleased in you and your whole life will be transformed because of that. And it's interesting when Jesus talks to the Pharisee, I won't bring up the scripture because we're going to go somewhere else. But in Matthew 6, what he continually says to him, he says to the religious people, you guys love praying on the streets so everyone can see you. You love praying long prayers that are intricate so everyone's impressed with your prayers. You love dressing up with all your robes so everyone thinks you're more spiritual than them. He says when you fast, you make your face disfigured so people can see that you're fasting. And he says, go into your closet. Don't even let anyone know what you're doing because my father sees what's done in secret and I'll reward you. You know what he was saying? Why are you guys acting? Everything you're doing is for people to see you differently, but I see your heart. And I actually believe, I, I was convicted reading those passages this, this week. I, if you want to deep dive in the series, go read those, Matthew 6, Matthew 23. But what I realized, I've always thought in the scriptures, we always say, Jesus, he didn't like the religious people. But that's not true because Jesus loves everyone. So I started thinking, what was he trying to do when he was saying that? You know what I think he was trying to do? He was trying to get them to be honest. Because I truly believe when you start telling the truth, your truth, that's called confession, you start to experience transformation and Jesus can work with that. You know the people that got transformed in the scriptures that were those that came to Jesus and said, I need your help. And he was saying, I think he was trying to provoke them. And he wanted them to say at the end of it, Jesus, you're right. Everything we do is for everyone else. It's actually not just for God. And we're so fearful of what they think of us. We're so fearful of what God thinks about us. We feel like we have to earn his approval. Show us a better way. But they were too prideful to admit their true motives. And because of that, they didn't all experience the transformation that Jesus wanted for them. Some of them did, but he loved them so much. I remember meeting with someone the other day and I noticed some habits in their life and I knew when they confess the truth, things will start to change. And I remember saying to them, hey, dude, I'm really noticing this in your life. And at the end, I was hoping they'd say, you know what, dude, if I'm gonna be honest, I do that because I'm really insecure. And at the end of it, they're like, cool. And maybe I was wrong, but as soon as they did that, I said, you're not gonna experience transformation until you admit the truth, right? The reason you act like that is because I don't feel like I'm good enough. Jesus can do something with the truth. And what's beautiful, I hope you know this is a place, it's okay not to be okay. And you don't have to act like you have it all together. It's okay to say to someone, man, I really don't know if I believe God will come through. And you know what? He will meet you there, but he will not speak to your falseness. And I hope if you're a person and someone confesses something, maybe that's hidden or secret, that takes so much courage to confess, you'd meet them with grace 
and not by judgment, that you would know in this place, this is a safe environment that you can confess because you know when transformation starts, we've talked about it before, you tell your truth, that's confession, that's honesty, and then God tells you the truth back. Metanoia, repentance, to change your mind. As you start to change your mind with the reality of the truth of God, you start to experience transformation like never before. And so I remember for me in college, I had uh, this moment where I've talked about it my sophomore year in college. I gave my life to Jesus, and then I came back in January, and I was like, man, I'm sold out for Jesus. I want to do whatever he has in my life. But before then, I was kind of like in and out, you know? Like, I wanted to follow God, but I just became wherever I was, and it wasn't bad, but I felt like I was kind of living a double life. And so I know there was one person in our little FCA group, like our athlete group, who really did not like me. And so, of course, in January, we come back and we break off of the groups, and I get paired with this girl. And I'm like, I'm kind of worried because I'm like, I don't think this person likes me very much. And it was confirmed because we sit down and she goes, so I'm just going to be honest. I'm like, oh, here we go. Here we go. No good conversation ever started with that. And she goes, I just think you're the biggest hypocrite ever. Appreciate that. (laughs) And I remember I said, I said, you know, you're probably right. And if I'm being honest, like I'm really trying to follow Jesus and I don't want to live like that anymore. And you know what I realized as I look back on my life? You know why I would become where I was is because I didn't know who I was. And when you don't know who you are, you become where you are. You just try to fit in because you're living to be loved. And what's beautiful about the kingdom of God is Jesus loves us. He forgives us. He chooses us. And when you know you're loved, you no longer have to be loved. He actually created us and knit us together to be loved, but to be loved by him. But if we don't know who we are, we'll become where you are. Because the truth is, I didn't grow up in my life thinking, man, I hope when I'm older I'll be a hypocrite. (laughs) If someone's living a hypocritical life, you know what happens? They go home in the mirror and they dislike themselves more than anyone else dislikes them. And they're just trying so hard to fit in. And I bet at the root of it, they just want God to love them. And they think the only way to get him to love them is by the way they behave. Jesus doesn't love you because of how you behave. He loves you because it's his very nature to love you. And when you get it all together, he'll love you the same as when you're at your worst. And that love is so beautifully transforming. And so with that, what I realized is our hypocrisy issue in the church, and I would say in the world, I think at one time each and every person in the world could say, you know what, my lifestyle didn't match my words, right? I think we all can relate to that, but I would say this, our hypocrisy issue is most rooted in our identity issue. We have an identity issue. And I would ask you that, like, what is identity? It's who you think you are. Webster, got another definition, defines it like this. It's the fact of being who or what a person or thing is. It's the fact of being who you are. Do you realize it's not the fact of doing? Because a lot of times in the world, we get our identity based on what we do, I was talking to my wife, her and my mom lead a small group with some of the Lions' wives, and they said they opened up their small group a couple weeks ago with this question, tell me who you are, and you're not allowed to talk about what you do, who you're married to, your achievements, or any of your degrees. And they said the whole room went silent. What would you say if someone asked you that question? Would you have an answer to that? What a great session, because you know what we always ask? Tell me what you do. And we start basing people's identity and what they do instead of who they are. If someone asks you that, who are you? 
What would you say if you couldn't say, well, I'm married to so-and-so, I have these kids? Who are you? Because this is how identity works. I'd say this, this is the world's way. The world, this is how identity works. And this is a question everyone in the world is asking. Who am I? It's not a church question. And if we can bring this answer, if we have a solution to this as followers of Jesus, people are going to want to know what we have to say. But it first starts with us being transformed in our identity. Because you can't give away something you don't have. And in the world, identity is found extrinsically. Identity in the world is extrinsic. It means it's all around us. I, I'm going to do this fast. That means this. The first thing you find your identity is what you do or what you can do. That's achievements. That's job titles. That's also failures, right? That's why we ask, tell me what you do for a living. And we make judgments based on people of what they do. Right? I can, I, even when I talk to college students, if someone's like, I go to U of M, everyone's like, whoa. Someone's like, yeah, I go to community college. It's kind of like, eh. It just happens. Why? Because we live and we make judgments to people like maybe someone had like what they're doing it's beautiful like god's not saying that he's not like "Eh." he's like wow that's amazing but so often what we do is who we are and you know what happens we get fired or we get a new job and our whole lives fall apart because we have no idea who we are apart from what we do number two what you have the size of your house, the size of your car, because why? We get our identity horizontally. Well, if I have more than them, I feel better about myself, but man, they have more than me, and now I feel bad. It's the world of social media. Everyone feels better when they get off social media. That's not true. (laughs) Other thing, number three, what people say about you, report cards, performance reviews, blogs, social media, right? It's all outside of us, and I would say number four, who you hang out with. It's the selfie with the celebrity, Right? You ever go to a party? This is the don't be that guy, and everyone's just name dropping the whole time. Well, I do this. You ever seen the Brian Regan, you know, I walked on the moon thing? You know, I do this. You go to the dinner party. Someone's just talking about, well, I got this job and this promotion. You know what's going on? Everyone who's trying to promote themselves outwardly probably just feels really small inside. Don't be that guy. Why would we be that person? Because you know what the root is? I'm so fearful of what people think about me. So I need to self-promote. Fear leads to self-promotion and self-protection. You either withdraw or you engage. And you walk into a room and you don't feel content with who you are, so you have to prove to everyone that you are valuable because deep down you probably feel like, I'm not enough. And so we actually enter into this place of hypocrisy. Why? Because we're so scared of what people really think, you've probably heard the the joke, we buy things we don't need with money we don't have to impress people we don't like. (laughs) And so what happens when our identity, when we do it the world's way, right, when it's extrinsic, when it's everything around us, it's so unstable. And what starts to happen, we start to believe lies about ourselves. Man, I did this thing, so I am that. Or someone did something to me, and I'm that. My father never loved me, so I'm a failure. I'm not good enough. And we spend our whole lives trying to prove to the world that we have what it takes. And then God's saying, you don't have to prove yourself. I love you. You don't have to prove yourself to me. You're enough. But if we live in fear, we walk into a room and we become who people want us to be. We become like hypocrites. Whether you're in the church, you become like the church person. You talk like the church people. I I know plenty of people in my life, they talk way different around other people than they talk around me because I'm a pastor and so they clean up their language. You can just be yourself. It's called performing, 
right? But when you don't know who you are, you become where you are, and then you walk into a room and you think, who do these people want me to be? And I'll become who they want me to be because I'm so dying to be loved. And I'm scared if I'm actually just myself, they'll reject me. And so it's such a way to live a life. The whole world's like, ah. I mean, you watch the hearings, right? I won't get into any of it. You go on the Kavanaugh hearings. Everyone is so scared. They're trying to self-protect and self-promote. And we think if we talk louder, people will be able to hear us because we feel so unseen. Let me, let me just tell you guys, whatever happens politically in the world, Jesus is on the throne. He ain't freaking out. Okay? He's not freaking out. He's going to be okay. But you know when transformation really starts to happen, we have everyone with all this conflict in here and it's chaos in here and we think we can go into the world and bring peace. What is believers? We knew who we were. We had peace in here. We no longer felt the need to prove ourselves or self-promote and there's peace in here and we walk into rooms and you know what's going to flow out of us? Peace. But so often we're walking around with nothing any different inside of us than the world but in reality, we have the kingdom of God within us. The authority of Jesus walks with us everywhere we go. But what starts to happen, we start to believe things about ourselves that God never said. I even remember coming to church. This is PK, PK stories right now, pastor's kid. I remember being at church and my parents talking about my brothers. And they were like, my oldest brother, CJ, he's super tech. And he's like, he's this tech guy. And he's like this genius and does this stuff. And my brother, Austin, like he's a writer. He's so smart and creative. And they are. And then it got to me and my parents were like, and Cody's a jock. <laughs> and I remember being like, is that all I am? And everyone's like, yeah, like people thought that was cool. But I took that connotation. My parents didn't mean it mean. But I thought it meant it was like, he's good at sports, but he's dumb. <laughs> like, that's how I took that. I remember being in the service and almost getting teary because I felt like, is that all I am? And I know so much of my life, you know when my life started to really change? Is when I went to God and I say, God, sometimes, if I'm being honest, I feel like a failure. And I feel like I wear that label sometimes. And I feel like oftentimes I'm not good enough. And no matter what I do, I won't be good enough. You know what that's called? Confession. And you know what the Lord says back to that? Truth. And to me, that's like, no, that's not who you are. I feel like the Lord, you know, Cody, you're enough. I actually feel like the Lord doesn't just call you son and daughter. He has a name for you. And within your name, you look at the scriptures, your name carries a meaning. I don't know any parents that call their children just son and child or child or daughter. But you have a name for them. And in the scriptures, you see this all the time. Like you go to Judges 6, this angel comes to, to Gideon and he says, mighty warrior of the Lord. And he says, pardon me? Because he didn't believe what he was saying was true. Do you believe that God has a name for you? I had some people, even at the end of last service, we prayed and asked the Lord to speak his name over us. I had someone text me and say, this is what the Lord said about who I am. I didn't even really believe like a few weeks ago God talked. But what would it be like to walk into a room and everyone's like, who am I, who am I? And you're like, I know exactly who I am. And I know for me, the purpose of my life, my middle name is Joshua. And as I've prayed, and I feel like people have confirmed it, I remember reading the scriptures and the Lord, I felt like he said to me, your name is Joshua. Joshua was a conqueror of nations, and he led my people into everything I promised them. You won't just get my people out of slavery. You'll get slavery out of them. That is why I am on this earth. And when you know who you are, you walk into every room, and you don't say, who do they want me to be? You say, I'm here, and I'm me, and I'm fully alive, and I exist 
to be who God made me to be. You want to be the best in the world at something? Be yourself. No one can be you better than you can do you. So how does identity work in the kingdom? Very simple. Identity in the kingdom is intrinsic. Psalm 139, it says, God knit us together in our mother's womb. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. God knit us together. You ever go to a room, maybe ask your kids, ask your friends, tell me your dreams, tell me your passions. They're all different. We've talked about this before. Why? Because God's put purpose inside of you. He's put dreams inside of you that no one else has. And you know what's beautiful about that? Is they were knit in there. And what's in you, no one can steal. You can be deceived and give it away, but no one can take what the Lord has knit within you. It says even in Acts 17, 26, Paul speaking, he says that for man, God marked out our appointed times in history and the boundaries of the land. What does that mean? You weren't your parents' idea. You weren't the world's idea. You were God's idea. You are a creation of God's imagination prepared before the foundations of the earth that he has purposes for you. And so you walk into a room and you don't have to live as a hypocrite because you can just live fully as yourself. You don't have to put the mask up, but you can be fully who God made you to be. It's interesting. Can I get an amen? It's interesting in... Uh, Matthew 3 and 4, you see Jesus hear identity from his father. And it's so simple. Not only is identity intrinsic, which means it flows out of you. You ever walked into a room and said, God, what does it look like for me to be fully me as you created me to be? That's how you live life. You walk into a room, you feel like, man, I'm a protector of people. God, what does it look like to protect people in here? Man, I feel like I'm, I have such a gift of empathy. I love caring about people. What does it look like to care for people in here? Man, I feel like God's given me gifts to come up with solutions to help people in the medical field. What does it look like for you to do that every day? But what happens, fear shuts down the creative process. Fear shuts down the God-given identity and glory that he has put on your life. And so it's interesting, you go to Matthew 3, some of you guys know the story, Jesus is baptized by John the Baptist, he comes up and a voice speaks from heaven and says, this is my son and who am I am well pleased. That's the end of Matthew 3. You go into Matthew 4, some of you know, the spirit leads Jesus into the desert, he goes into the desert for 40 days, he fasts and he prays and at the end of the days, something happens, the enemy comes to tempt him. It says, then Jesus was led by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry, makes sense. The tempter came to him and said, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Remember hearing this my whole life, and everyone's like, see, Jesus was weak in his flesh, and so his temptation was food. There's a temptation before the food. Did you guys catch it? If you are the son of God. So in the very moment, Jesus just had this revelation from the father, right? And guess what? Before God told Jesus he was his son and whom he was well pleased, that was always true. And I don't know if Jesus knew it before them. I'm assuming he did. I know he did. But it was always true. When God tells you who you are, it's always been true from the foundations of the earth. It's new revelation, which means it was always true. It's just now been illuminated to you. Right? So when God says, this is who I see you to be, it didn't just happen. It's who you've always been. Why? Because it's always been inside of you. And so Jesus says this, Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. 
That is how identity works in the kingdom. You know who you are. You're exactly who God says you are. Nothing more and nothing less. And I believe what the enemy was saying, if you are the son of God, turn these stones into bread. What he was saying, prove to me who you are by what you can do. That's how the world works. Who you are is what you can do. And you have to prove to me. You say you're righteous, well, show me you're righteous by the way that you live. God says you're righteous because what I did for you on the cross. Who you are isn't dependent on what you do. Who you are is dependent on what God did for you on the cross. And so the enemy says, if you're holy, then why are you doing this? Prove to me you're holy. And you don't need to respond to it. You don't need to prove yourself. You don't need to self-protect or self-promote. You say, I am who I am because from the mouth of God, he spoke this over me. And there might not be evidence right now in your life. Like I've heard this said, like, if I went to an apple tree and saw it in seed form, I wouldn't be like, well, that's an apple tree. But everything that needs to be, like, grown to become an apple tree is already within that seed. For some of you, God might call you an author, right? He might call you a writer. He might call you a protector. And you're like, I have no evidence of that. But his word comes in seed form. And as you grow that and as you believe that, you know what's going to happen? There's going to be evidence of fruit. And you will get to heaven someday and they will always call you by the name that the Lord made you even if you don't believe it on earth. Because here is the reality I really believe. Because I, I, I think a lot of people are like, man, I know I'm a child of God. I know I'm this. I know I'm loved. I know I'm forgiven. I know I'm chosen. But my actions are not portraying that. And I really believe this. You will get your identity from the voice you value the most. And so if that's your earthly dad growing up and you, ever, you always felt like you weren't good enough for him, you'll probably feel like you're not good enough in life. If that's your boss... It will probably be your boss. If that's your spouse, you'll get it from your spouse. If that's your parents, whatever it is, you will get your identity from the voice you value the most. And when God's voice becomes the voice you value the most, you'll start to believe what he says. What is that? That's called faith. Faith is our trust in God. When you have faith in God, you'll believe what he says. But you can have faith in lies. You can have faith that you're not good enough. And your circumstances, you might feel like, dude, all my circumstances say that about me. The only thing that matters in the kingdom of God for identity is who the Father says you are. And so if you get your identity from the voice you value the most, that means you get your identity from the voice you cherish the most. The voice you cherish the most is the voice that you worship. Because what is worship? It's ascribing worth. And so ultimately, you will get your identity from what you worship. And so if you worship what someone says about you in your life and it's not God, ultimately you will get your identity out here instead of in here. And so how does that work? You know how it works? I, I, I remember watching, I haven't watched it this year, but I watched The Voice. And there's a guy on that show, Adam Levine. He's one of the judges. He's, he's the lead singer for Maroon 5. And I always thought it was funny because when they're singing on The Voice, these people are phenomenal, but like someone like Adam Levine comes to him and they speak life to him and they say, man, you're incredible, you're awesome. And you can see like, whoa, like something shifts in them. Why? Because someone with authority, someone who is an expert in that field shows belief in them. And so something changes. And I remember thinking like if I went to them and said, man, you're really awesome, it might feel good for them. But you know what carries way more weight when Adam Levine says it compared to what I say it? You know who has the most authority in life? You know who has the expert opinion on everything because he made it? It's God. And when his voice, you understand, he is the one who speaks the truth. You know whose opinion matters over your life? Only 
God's. And when that voice, right, becomes the only voice, that's how identity works in the kingdom. You will get your identity in the kingdom from the king, and he has a name for you. And I really believe this because I talk to people all the time, and, and I, I believe this is true. They're like, man, I know my identity. But I would say this. A lot of times we can forget it if we don't keep listening to his voice. I would say this. Identity is not a destination. It is a continual revelation. And what do I mean by that? Your identity will always be strengthened by the relationship. Like for me, I can know I'm my dad's son. If I never spend time with him and we don't have a solid relationship, I'll still live like an orphan. There's tons of people in this world that might know who their dad is, but if they're distant from him, the reality of that, knowing that I'm his son, it actually could be more hurtful and painful. And so identity is continually strengthened by intimacy and friendship in relationship. And so in the same way for me, man, if I'm starting to forget who I am, I, need, I, I know I need to, I might have known it one time and the Lord might have revealed it to me, but it's going to be strengthened by this place void of continual relationship. And you know what's beautiful? When you know who you are, you can walk into a room and you're no longer defined by the people around you. You're no longer defined by the things that you do. And when someone asks you, tell me who you are, you actually have an answer. You don't have to prove yourself because you actually believe, I'm enough. You don't have to be that guy. You don't have to perform like a hypocrite. It will be so real within you. Your identity will flow out of you. And you know what starts to happen then? Instead of the room changing you, you start to change the room. You know why we're so influenced by the world? Because we want their approval. When you know you're approved by God, you start to influence the world. And when you know who you are, you aren't changed by the world, you change the world. But as we go out into the world, and you're with your coworkers, you're with your family, you're with your friends at school, whatever it may be, you know what no one knows? They don't know who they are. And if we don't know who we are, how are we supposed to tell them? Everyone's identity is in their vocation. As believers in the kingdom of God, our identity comes from the king. It comes from the king. And so if you believed in your life, man, based on your circumstances, all I am is a victim. No one is a victim in the kingdom of God. There's a huge victim thing going around everywhere in the world. And I will say to you, man, I'm so sorry if you've been a victim of something. But that moment is not your life, and you are more than that moment. God says you are more than a conqueror through Christ. You are not a victim of anything. Because when you know who you are, events, like, you happen to people, people don't happen to you. And through the power of forgiveness, God can set you free to be who you were made to be. You're not a victim to the political system. You're not a victim to your work colleagues. You're not a victim to the opinions of those around you. And it's really hard. You know, like, I can get off stage and be like, man, I don't think that was very good. And I'll say that to God, man, God, I don't feel like that was very good. And you know what he says back? It was enough. And so I'm in this place of continual relationship of truth telling to God and hearing the truth back. And in that process, transformation starts to take place. We have a hope that the world doesn't have because of Jesus. And they need the answer. They really need the answer. And I really hope even this week, man, you can speak identity in the people. Or you can open their ears to hear God's voice in a fresh way about who they are. 
And in order to do that, I think we first have to know who we are. And so as we end today, I would love to take a time of prayer, and we're just going to ask the Lord that. Jamie Winship, some of you guys saw him Wednesday night. We're going to turn off the rational mind, and we're going to open up the intuitive mind. We're going to open up the, the side of our mind that hears God's voice. And we're just going to say, God, who do you say that I am? We're first going to ask, God, what are the false things I believed about myself that you've never called me? And God, who do you say I am? I had someone text me at the last service, like, you know, the false things, man, I'm a failure, I'm a mess, I'm broken. I saw the identity, God was saying, you're a protector. You're a lover. You know how different it is walking into a room feeling like I'm a protector than feeling like I'm a failure. That's the kingdom of Jesus, when the king defines you. And you know who you are, it's already in you. He's just trying to get you to believe it because he believes in you too. So why don't you just close your eyes right now, we're gonna pray. And so just, man, let your mind clear and get rid of any distractions. So Jesus, we pray that right now, God. Jesus, reign in this room. You are Lord, you are King, you are glorious, you are seated enthroned, God. And only your voice matter, God. Only your opinion matters because your opinion is the truth, God. And so let us hear that voice of truth right now. Silence any voice that is not your voice in Jesus' mighty name and clear this room of any distractions and anything that's not you in Jesus' name. And Spirit of God, fill our minds and fill our hearts, fill our souls and our spirits with the truth about who we are, God. We want to know the truth, God. So we ask this question, Jesus, are there any false identities? Are there any names I've believed about myself that you have never called me? And just pay attention to the thoughts that go through your mind, the first things that go through your mind. Or even ask this, see if anything comes to your mind. God, where, is, where did I start to believe that about myself? Show me the moment I started believing that false thing about myself. And so if you had some things come to your mind, just we're just gonna say this, Jesus, what do you wanna do with those false things? What do you wanna do with them? And so just give them to Jesus. And everyone, everyone just listen right now. Clear your mind. First thing that comes to your mind. Maybe it's a picture. Maybe it's a word. Jesus, what is the name that you call me? Who am I to you? And Jesus, can you just give me like a picture, like a daydream almost, or like a vision in my mind, God? What does it look like for me to be who you made me to be? And so Jesus, we pray, man, if something came to someone's mind, I pray that they have courage to share it, God. And maybe for some people, we pray that their ear would be tuned even just to hear you in their car rides home in their house today. If nothing came to their mind, I pray that they know they're still loved and it's okay. But God, seal what you spoke today. Let us walk out of here completely different and don't let it just be a one-time moment. Let us continually seek what you spoke to us and let it become more and more true in our lives, God. We wanna be the people you made us to be. We wanna say goodbye to hypocrisy. We don't wanna act. We don't wanna perform, God. We don't wanna live in fear, God, but we wanna live truly as your sons and daughters and who you made us to be. And so in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we pray all these things.